You're listening to Meet the RIA. In this special podcast edition of the show, you'll get expert insights from some of the top registered investment advisors in the country. Here's your host, Jenna Dagenhart, and today's special guest, Barry Ritholtz, Chairman and CIO of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast was recorded in July 2020. Barry, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Um, who I am is a long story. I'll give you the quick version. Uh, I'm chairman, chief investment officer, and co-founder of Ritholtz Wealth Management. We're 32 people on about a billion two, a billion three, depending on where the market closes today. Um, my background is a little weird. I, I come out of a math and science background but didn't pursue that uh, academically. I ended up going to law school, loved law school, hated being a lawyer, and found my way into trading and market research and analytics early in my career and just fell in love with it. And you stumbled into this profession in a different way, and you've also brought in client assets in a different way. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So um, I spent the early part of my career on the trading and research side, and I put together a lot of um, uh, analytics and commentary and research and what started out as sort of an internal only note each day eventually became a blog, first on GeoCities in like the late 90s. And then uh, in 2003, it moved to TypePad, uh, which is a six apart company. And then uh, it moved to WordPress in 08. And I've been you know publishing there ever since. Um, a lot of the market commentary was a little more sharp uh, than than what you typically get uh, from Wall Street. Uh, I was never afraid to call out companies or analysts or economists who really didn't do a great job. Um, pretty early in like 06 and 07, warning about the housing crisis, subprime derivatives. Uh, that turned out to be pretty timely. We were at the time pre-RIA. Uh, at an institutional firm. We were 100% cash throughout 2008. Had a pretty good call at the top, pretty good call at the bottom uh, in, in March 09. Most of my career, people have been offering me money, and most of the time, I just didn't want it to interfere with my research and writing and commentary. And But after 09, it got to be kind of a loud drumbeat. Um, Josh Brown uh, joined me in our previous firm, and basically convinced me, dude, this is just too much money to say no to. Let's figure out a way to make these people happy. And so we started taking cash. I want to say it was like 2010 or 11. And when it rapidly became $75 million, we launched our own firm. And that was 2013. And now it's 2020 and we're, you know, over a billion dollars and and still growing. So um, it's a weird uh, background and an unusual approach to attracting clients. Give all your research away for free, put out high quality written content, video content, podcast content. And if one tenth of 1% of your audience says, hey, you know, I need a guy, here we are. And that commentary, research, and analysis is still very clearly core to who you are and what you do. How do you go about your research? So I am incredibly disorganized and very, very um, short attention span theater. And so I have to have a routine to force myself to do things on a daily basis. So most days I'm up at 4.30, 5 o'clock, and I am sifting through 
um, 50 or so, 50 to 100 tabs on, on my internet browser, looking for things that are going to be interesting, market moving, um, thoughtful, or just, you know, intriguing, worth, worth reading. Um, and each morning I put out my daily reads. Uh, that is an email that goes out. These are the 10 most interesting things you should read today. Um, and then I start taking whatever I've seen and try and put it down as some form of a coherent commentary. It's nice not having to swing at a pitch every day. The, the, that Warren Buffett's joke is unlike baseball where they call balls and strikes, you can sit there with the, your bat on your shoulder and not swing at everything. But when I feel like I have something interesting to say or find a really compelling chart or graphic or something that explains things people don't understand, I'll throw that up on the blog. Once a week, I do a podcast called Masters in Business, and somehow I talk Bloomberg into letting me broadcast this on their air. Um, and we've had some really amazing guests over the past, gee, it's almost six years. Um, this past week was Bill Miller. Uh, two weeks before that was Jeremy Siegel of Wharton. We've had Cliff Asness of AQR, Ray Dalio of Bridgewater, Howard Marks of um, Oak Tree, just a, a list of notable people in business and finance. Uh, it, it came out of my frustration with watching financial TV. I'm, I'm pointing to that over there. And just really annoying questions. What's your favorite stock? When's the Fed going to cut rates? Where's the Dow going to be in a year? Every one of those questions are stale the moment the guest walks out of the studio. And I was much more interested in, hey, who are you and how did you get that way? Who are your mentors? What are your favorite books? What do you know today that you wish you knew 30, 40 years ago when you were starting? What can we learn from your um, success in your life experience? And that evolved into a podcast. Well, Barry, to steal one of your very own questions, what can we learn from your success in your life story? How did you get to where you are today? So a lot of it is dumb luck, and that's just not me saying it. I'm shocked at the number of people who are billionaires and multi-bazillionaires, very, very successful people in business and finance, have all said, hey, it's great to be smart. It's even better to be lucky. Um, so, so that certainly helps. Lifelong learning is something that is crucial. If, if you think you're done when you're 25, 35, 45, and there's nothing left to learn, um, you're in for a big surprise. You have to, the world changes and you have to figure out what that means and how to adapt to it. When, when you see people like, go down the list, uh, Bill Miller, Michael Mobison, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, who, who literally have multi-hour blocks of their day set aside to read books, well, maybe these folks know what they're talking about. Maybe there's something to be said for continuing um, being an autodidact, teaching yourself, uh, constantly striving to improve, to learn things, to get better. You know, if you look back every five years at your previous five years and don't see something that you're not just mortified and embarrassed of, well, then you're, you're not growing. You, you should be able to self-evaluate every five years and say, well, that was mortifying, but at least I learned from that mistake. And now hopefully I've, I've gotten better. Uh, what I've learned most from Ray Dalio is the importance of, of not just sweeping errors under the rug, but embracing your mistakes and learning from them 
that's the only way we get better. We learn much more from failure than we do from success. And I've had lots of failures that I've hopefully learned something from. Speaking of Dalio, I'm currently reading his book, Principles. Finally, Barry, any other thoughts or advice that you'd like to leave with our viewers and our listeners? So if you're looking at uh, investing and you want some advice, there, there is one thing that I keep coming back to, and, and that is understand what your edge is, understand what your process is, and don't be afraid to admit that you're doing something that's not working out and make changes to that process. I don't mean every day tweaking the controls and moving the levers up and down. Your process should be much broader and more comprehensive, and you should revisit it quarterly and annually just to measure how well you're doing, not necessarily to make changes. But you have to, that's the challenge is recognizing when, hey, what I'm doing is, if you're an indexer, there are going to be times when active management is going to beat you. If you're heavily weighted uh, overseas, there are going to be times when domestic is going to really thrash you. The, the challenge is understanding when you're just in a regular cyclical underperformance or when something secular has changed and the world is different. And, you know, people talk about technology companies today uh, in the same way they were in the 1990s. They are money machines today. They are much more uh, mature industries than they were then. You have to learn how to adapt when the world changes. That, that's just one example. I think people bring their baggage from earlier eras, eras forward, not recognizing that, you know, uh, Apple today and the Amazon and Microsoft and the stocks we talked about earlier, they're a different animal today in terms of revenue and profits than the tech sector was back in the 90s. Yeah, we don't have iPods or mail-in DVDs anymore, but yet these companies are still leading. That's right. Well, you don't need an iPod anymore because you can, what, what I used to have on my iPod, 10,000 songs, if you get the upgraded um, iPhone 11, I could put a bajillion songs on this. Why do I need an iPod? And it just Bluetooth into whatever, wherever I am, into the car, into headphones, into whatever. So they created a product and then they built that product into their phone. It's their own creative destruction. You got to appreciate a company that is going to, um, is going to cannibalize their own products before other companies do it to them. It's why they're one of the biggest market cap companies in the world. Again, depending on where prices close for the day, they're always, the past few years, they've been one, two, or three on a regular basis. Can creative destruction be a good thing for advisors and investors as well? It, it doesn't stop. Creative destruction is continuous. You, you have to constantly rethink your, your process. You have to look at the technology you use in, in your business and you have to constantly move forward. There's a great line in the movie Annie Hall about relationships being like a shark. If when sharks aren't moving forward, they die. Um, and your business has to constantly move forward. You have to constantly adjust and adapt to changing conditions or else you're going to be like that shark that's not uh, moving forward. You never want to wake up and say, hey, what we have on our hands here is a dead shark. No, you don't. Well, Barry, thank you so much for joining us. Really great to have you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for tuning in to Meet the RIA. Be sure to visit AssetTV.com, your source for financial news and information. And check out our other episodes of Meet the RIA. This is Asset TV. 